Alrighty, so we are in um, Revelation chapter 11, and as we said, we did not get through it all, so we're going to, to uh, kind of finish, uh, and we're in 11 through 14. Uh, we saw kind of the downside of things, and we didn't get to, didn't really get to the, the good part of the story, so... Uh, it says, now, after the three and a half days, now, we just want to back up here, actually. Uh, so we talked about how, how there was this long period, this 1,260 days. Uh, we know those are prophetic days. Um, and, uh, and that was going to be a really negative period of, of, for the uh, uh, a long extended negative period uh, for these witnesses. Uh, then they were going to go through a very rough three and a half days, uh, a severe treatment to the point that, that he uses the metaphor of killing uh, these witnesses, the scriptures. So uh, with that, verse 11, he says, Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They ascended to the heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. And in the same hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the great city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. And the second woe has passed. And behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So we're going to look at some things. We see the revival of the witnesses, uh, the revival of, of scriptures. Uh, we talked about the, the two witnesses, the two testaments, if you will. Uh, this is the same word. And we have three and a half days. We've, we've looked at the, the idea that, uh, that this is uh, three and a half years. That comes from uh, Ezekiel. And uh, so we want to uh, look at, well, we, we began a starting point last week. And that was uh, November 24, 1793, the Festival of Reason. Actually, the Festival of Reason was two weeks earlier than that. Uh, but on the 24th of, of November, they actually, literally in France, outlawed Christianity. They started forcing priests to, uh, and any, any clergy of any religion, but France at the time was primarily Catholic. So uh, you had the opportunity of the guillotine, or you just might want to consider giving up your profession, which a good number of people did. Um, many were thrown in prison, didn't face the guillotine, they just died of starvation in prison. Um, probably more than faced the guillotine. Uh, but this is, um, this is our starting point, I think. So uh, let's look at a couple things. Well, uh, in July of 28, 1794, now the reign of terror actually started before 1793. It started in 1792, but we're talking about our point is not when Robespierre started executing people, it's when Christianity, this is about the witnesses, it's not about Robespierre. Uh, he is executed in July 28, 1794, so that really wouldn't do us good. That wouldn't be the right math, would it? We'd be looking for something else. And, and as it is, uh, that, didn't stop, that didn't stop atheism, or deism, technically speaking, um, there's a lot of people, Robespierre himself believed in 
a creator, uh, but he didn't take it any further than that. Uh, they were very anti-religious. Uh, here's why. Uh, th- there's a lot of unrest. Um, when he's executed, th- there's all of a sudden the, the phrase hoisted on your own petard, right? Uh, you create a reign of terror, you eventually become the victim of it, right? Uh, when, when you sow suspicion about everybody, you will eventually be suspect. And that's what happened to him. And that's what happened to his buddies, the Jacobins. Um, many of them were executed later on. Um, and they were forced to uh, quit their club. Uh, and so there's, there's a lot of unrest. So people don't know who's going to win in this. So you just kind of, let's just all lay low. So, so Christianity is still laying low even after that. Uh, this is interesting. This is not our date either, but this is interesting. Now, France, the the, um, the French Revolution was run by a thing called the Convention. Right? It was like their legislature. Uh, and it was originally comprised mostly of Jacobins, and then, then all these other political groups come in. Um, and there was a, a royalist, the people that liked the king, they tried to attack it, and some guy by the name of Napoleon defended it. Now, uh, a few years earlier, during the reign of terror, they had wanted to kill him, right? Because he, his family knew the Robespierre family. So that's not a good association. Once, once Robespierre became a bad guy, you don't want to be connected to him. So, uh, so when he defended this in October of 1795, it kind of put him in good graces, right? Like ah. He's on the right side. But he is a very religious guy. I didn't say he's a good guy. I just said he's a very religious guy. Who <laughs> wouldn't call Napoleon a good guy? <clears throat> One month later, the directory replaces the convention. Directory was 500 guys that were elected but overseen by five guys. They kind of make the decisions for France. That's still not our date, is it? But it's important because they allow Napoleon, because of his defense of the government, to start to gain stature. So in 1796, he gains numerous military successes and popularity, but he's not just a um, not just a military guy. He's pretty shrewd. He's a smart guy. A lot of his popularity didn't come just from his uh, his military success. It came from propaganda. He founded six newspapers, all of which talked about how good Napoleon was. <laughs> he was a good media guy. I'm avoiding the obvious comparisons to modern times. Uh, Most of them just talked about all his wonderful victories. But that's not all he said. There were numerous quotes in here. This was uh, 1797, the 1st in February. That's starting to look close to me. Society cannot exist without religion. Napoleon. I didn't say he's a good guy. 
but he was right. And he said, our religious revolution is a failure. Now, what happens? What do you suppose happens at this point? What happens when an incredibly popular, powerful person dares to speak truth? Yeah, this guy didn't. (laughs) Not for a few more years. He's incredibly popular. Okay. Okay, attention. Doesn't it make people safe to come out of... Right. So, So you've had all these political factions... And no one's dared to raise their head for fear. And and someone finally says something that we all know. Something that should be obvious, but everyone's been afraid to say it. And everyone else who quietly thinks it goes, you know, we can start saying this now. And that's what happens in France. And so, the directory in May of 1797 says, we're going to reconsider our policies. We're going we're to take a vote. Now, the vote is scheduled for June. It gets delayed. That's not really material. One of the, uh, he's not one of the five. He's one of the 500, but he's one of the more popular, a guy by the name of Camille Jordan. Uh, a really popular, uh, he, had, he, had, he had been kind of a royalist and he fled during the French Revolution at the beginning of it. Uh, and he comes back once that things are starting to look a little safe. And after one of these meetings, he comes out and on, um, on June 17, 1797, he makes the proclamations that all Religions are free. He says this before the vote is taken. Why? Because he knows what Napoleon wants, Napoleon gets. Now, Napoleon's not the, uh, the ruler yet, but it's kind of obvious he's going to be. That's two years away. But everyone's kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're putting the grass in the wind. They, they know which way it's going. Three years, six months, three weeks. That's pretty good. Three and a half years that these witnesses lie. In 1804, the British Bible Society will begin. The the point is about the Bible. It's about the witnesses, right? Right? And a Bible society is formed not just to, to print Bibles. That's where we left off, right, in the 1400s and, and just after that, printing Bibles. But specifically, sending Bibles. That's different. That's new. That's 1800. That's kind of recent. It didn't exist before then. These witnesses, everybody's observing the living witnesses now. That's the picture that we have here, this victory. And just to put a little bow on it, this is 
God just, I think, having fun. This is Voltaire's home, Les Delices. Back then, I, apparently, if you had a big house, you had to name it. <laughs> right? I don't know. It's kind of a weird thing. Name your house. So, this is a guy by the name of Henry Tronchin. Came to reside at Voltaire's house in 1833 and forms the Evangelical Society of Geneva in this house. A, a visitor, I uh, can't remember the guy's name, he came there like a year or two later and it was filled with Bibles. The guy who said, I am going to, it's only going to take one guy to destroy Christianity. In his house, where he campaigned and wrote and burned Bibles and all these things, Bibles are produced and distributed and it becomes a warehouse. And God just says, yeah, you're going to do what? I love that. So we move on to this earthquake. We're still in the same transition. There's still some other elements. He says, in the same hour there was an earthquake. And I want to look at some of the things up here. A tenth of the city fell, 7,000 were killed. Right, so we have a tenth of the city, uh, we have 7,000 killed, and it says, but it says in the same hour. So it's not necessarily the same exact event. It could, be, it could be an associated event, but it's happening at the same time, right? What is this? I want to look at a tenth of the city. When Rome fell, we go way back. It was divided into ten areas, ten powers, it falls. And these are the ten. We're not looking at the Eastern Empire. We're looking at the Western Empire. The Vandals, Suevi, Visigoths, the Anglo-Saxon, the Franks, Burgundy, Ostrogoths, the Lombards, and we have two other little ones here. Ravenna, which was the kind of had be, become the capital. Uh, not Rome wasn't the capital. This was where all your patricians and all your senators, they, they started moving up there to live. And the Senate, which was still there, right? Uh, the Senate still met in Rome. Right? You might have your nice estate back up there. But uh, the rich people lived up in Ravenna, and the Senate still lived and acted and did in Rome. And these are the seats of power. We'll come to some of this later. But one-tenth of these falls. Which tenth? Well... Following 1815, the famous Waterloo where Napoleon is defeated for the final time, he's exiled, France declines. Now, I'm not saying they, they like just collapsed, but France's victories get fewer and fewer and farther between. The end of this century that we're in, we'll see them occupied by numerous. The Prussians attack them. They lose to Germans. They lose to the British. They lose to the Russians. They pretty much lose. They, they beat, uh, I think, the Turks in, in, in Algiers. That's about it. That's, that's their claim to fame for this century. France falls, and they've never been what they were. Now think about this. From the early 500s, when Clovis rose to power, they were it 
up until this point in time. They were, they were it in France, or in Europe. That's a significant fall. God says a tenth of the city is going to fall, a tenth of this empire. 7,000, literally it says 7,000 names of men, which is probably 7,000 people. I don't know what this means, and I don't know how to count this. I don't, as I say, I don't get into numerology. A lot of people do. This is what I do know. That, um, and we have this idea that the remainder repent. There's this people looking on, and then there's these enemies. These are the two things that we have going on. So there's these enemies of witnesses. Uh, and, and I think we're still looking at the same period of time. Um, in in the fall, in this reign of terror, in the aftermath of it, we have thousands of clergy that were... Not, not, not everybody who that died was clergy. Most it was political assassinations and things like that. But there's 40,000 people that die overall in the reign of terror. And it began with politics and kings and whatnot and, and rich people. But it then quickly proceeded to Catholic clergy and Protestant. Those who had resisted, many who had resisted the Bible. And then it went to the, it ended up with the people who started the whole thing being executed on their own thing. The, the people who had been pushing for deism. Right, and atheism, they end up dying on this. Was it 7,000? I don't know. Maybe if we had numbers and rec better records were kept and you weren't just beheading people without trials, it would be, harder, it would be easier to get a, a count of, of who, who was happening and when, where, but, but you didn't get a trial. You just got executed. Don't like you today. <laughs> Sorry. And there's a spiritual awakening. This repentance. Now, I don't know if it means that when it talked about giving glory to God of heaven, I don't know if that's mean uh, that, that they literally became Christians or that they just decided that after this we, we might want to do things a different way. But I do know that after this there's no attempts by anybody to silence the scriptures. We... We might have difference of opinion, and we might debate, but the, the scriptures are not attacked, not, not in the West, anyway. There's a spiritual awakening, and this is, this is the time period where the phrase non-denominational comes into play. Because people are free to express their opinions and, and search the scriptures for themselves, and we're sending the Bible out all over the world, and people are reading for the first time things that are just have been hidden from them. And, and people are like, wow, we didn't know this. We've just believed what our creed said. And this creed and that creed, whether it be Protestant or Catholic, people have just been led to believe things because they didn't have the Bible, and this is what the people who have the Bible say, so it must be true. And people can now form their own ideas. That might not always be a good thing, 
but it's always a good thing. If you, do you know what I mean? There's lots of wrong ideas that come about, but it's always a good thing for people to have the ability to do so. And so I want to look at the revival of the witnesses because we now have an point to begin from. So the point we begin from for that is the point we back up from, right, for the 1260. We have 1793. So let's back up. If, if I, I passed out a, a, a chart, and you'd notice if, if I don't know if you, you brought it. If not, that's okay. Uh, but there's a strip across the top that says the church, Christ, and then it says there's a little strip that says the church in the wilderness. We're going to get to that later because this time period is talked about elsewhere in Revelation. And it starts in 17, or ends in 1793, so if we backed up, we just did some quick math, that would bring us to 533, right? So, so we should, if we do the math, correct, we should find something significant that has to do with this time period. What's the time period? What's going on in this? Okay, so, so France is in power, but uh, something else, what was the... So France, the big thing about France was, was the, the French Revolution. So be, that was the second attack on the scriptures. What's the longer attack on the scriptures? What was going on? Okay, the Dark Ages. Uh, be, even prior to the printing press, that we, we read those, those decrees where, where people were not allowed to own an Old Testament or a New Testament. Like this whole time period. This is where does this all begin at? How how does how does how does a, a church, strangely enough, how does a church get this power to tell people that you can't own the scriptures? Okay. So Pope John in five thirty three is elected. Interestingly enough, uh, well, Pope John II, he's the first pope. This has nothing to do with anything. It's, other, it's just trivia. He's the first one to actually change his name as pope. The rest of them were popes, and that was their name that they were born with. Uh, he, he's actually, his name was Mercurius or something like that, and he changes his name uh, to John II. Uh, that's not really important. What is important is this guy, Emperor Justinian in the east. Now, remember, the west has fallen. And so there's only one real Roman emperor. And Emperor Justinian, upon the election of, of John, about two months later, sends, uh, he sends a letter. I want to read this letter to you, or this part of the letter. And I, I just want you, for, for, the, for the purposes of this, there's some words, you know, like what does that word mean? When the word see, uh, does anybody know what like a, an apostolic see is? Is that no? A C is like a, a seat of power. Okay, so so like your little jurisdiction, right? And so the apostles were said to have C's, like like their jurisdiction. Of course, P, Peter's was the greatest, right, in Rome, which he might not have ever been there. But anyway, so this is so just so you have the the idea of what he's gonna see. Now, just think about. Also, one other thing. The word pope means father. So, so that's Italian, right, or Latin for father. So, 
Just substitute seat of power and father for every time you come across those words. Justinian, victor, pious, fortunate, ever the Augustus, to John, the most holy archbishop and patriarch of the noble city of Rome, paying honor to the apostolic see and to your holiness, as always has been our desire, and honoring your blessedness as Father. We hasten to bring to the knowledge of your holiness all that pertains to the condition of the churches. Since it has always been our great aim to safeguard the unity of your apostolic see and the position of the holy churches of God, which now prevails and abides securely without any disturbing trouble. So therefore we have been sedulous, whatever that word means, not a wordsmith here, uh, um, probably something like uh, endeavoring to subject and unite all the priests of the East throughout its whole extent to your see and to your holiness. Knowledge, however clear and unquestionable they may be, oh, excuse me, whatever, happen, uh, whatever questions happen to be moot at the present, we have thought necessary to be brought to your holiness's knowledge. However clear and unquestionable they may be, and though firmly held and taught by all the clergy in accordance with the doctrine of your apostolic see, for we do not suffer anything which is moored to your holiness, however clear and unquestionable pertaining to the state of the churches, should fail to be known to your holiness as being the head of all churches. For as we have said before, we are zealous for the increase of the honor and the authority of your see in all respects. With this decree, the Pope has the backing of the military power of the Eastern Roman Empire to enforce doctrine on everyone. He can excommunicate with the backing of a military. He can execute those who fail to comply. This is where it begins. And no one had this prior. 533 to 1793. 1260 years. Pretty powerful. So let's move to the seventh trumpet. And we'll finish out uh, this, this chapter. The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord in Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and was and is to come, because you have taken your great power and you have reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and at the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened in earth, 
or in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple. There were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. A lot of earthquakes going on. But this seems to be the last one. And a storm. What are earthquakes and storms? Great upheaval. Some time of sorrow. These are woes, right? A temple and an altar are disclosed. Where have we seen that before? Where have you seen a temple opened and an altar visible? Okay, the death of Jesus. The, the veil was rent. And the priests are in there doing their little deal and go, Hey, <laughs> how are you? What did it signify? Change. Change of what? You're right. You're right on. What changed? Access to God. What did Christ say the night he took bread? What? New covenant. We end a covenant. God says, hey, this is what's been going on for a couple thousand years. You like it? Good. It's gone. All the secrets. There they are. All the people that wondered, I wondered what's in there. It doesn't go well for you if you try to peek. Well, there it is. Nothing special. It's a gold box. And it's over. And I believe that's what's happening. This is the picture of the end. God says we don't need this covenant anymore. This new covenant. We don't need it. The way is revealed. This is the secret. This is what's been going on. I know we've all wanted to peek. Oh, if only I could see Jesus. But guess what? You get to. There's a major earthquake. The biggest one coming. He's not even really, he doesn't use a lot of symbolic language. You notice that? The veil being torn, the end of the covenant is all symbolic of the final judgment. And he just says so. The time of the dead. All right, verse 18 says, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time of the dead, that they should be judged. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing obscure here. This is the end. And we've still got a lot to go in Revelation. I don't know what comes after that. We'll probably figure that out next week. What comes after the end? That's that. But there are some interesting things. I want to wrap up with this. Finally, going to be out on time. What do you know? I love these 24 elders and all these creatures up there that we see throughout Revelation. They always, they, they never disappoint us. They always give us something important. Well, we were way back, you remember, we were talking about these guys, and, and, and while our attention is trying to figure out all these details, their attention's on the throne, right? And something important. Their attention is always on the throne. What's going on there? 
is always the most important. Well, he says, you were and you are and you are to come. Right? That's important for us to remember. It's especially important for them to remember in this time period, if you were in this. And it, it feels like God is dead. It feels like that's gone. How important would it be to keep in mind, this is temporary. They're going to be revived. And after that, it's not going to be shut down. That's important for us, I think, too. We start to think, it's going to get bad like that. No, it's not. We're not going to have... They revive. They don't die again. You notice that? They don't die again and then they, they, they come back to life and die again. No, it, it's not going to ever be like that then. That was about as bad as it can get. But there's something more important than that to me in here. He says, we give thanks to you, the one who is and was and who is to come. What's the rest of that in verse 17? An important, important phrase. And? Okay. You have taken your great power and reigned. Why is that important, that phraseology? He puts it in what tense? It's past tense. You have reigned. Or past continuous. My English grammar not the best. Mine says have begun to reign. No. It's have reigned. You have reigned. You have taken your power and you have reigned. Now it might be one of those tenses that continues into the present, so... So that might be kind of connected to there. Yeah. As I say, my English grammar not the best. Well, have you done that it's yeah. 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 We always looking for the future and heaven, and that's good. That's a part of this. But the angels remind us, and the, these creatures, whoever they are, these elders, it's already happened. In those dark, 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 dark days, 1,260 of them, followed by three and a half really super dark ones, God was reigning. It doesn't look like we always want it to, but he was still reigning. God says, thank you. And these angels say, thank you, God, for reigning. You're doing it the way you do it. Right? They have, or God has reigned. God doesn't always show us he's in control, but he always is in control. Sometimes it looks out of control. Sometimes my life feels out of control. That's it. Got it under control. Just stick with me a little bit, and we'll get through it. Sometimes the evidence is amazing. I, I can't imagine the sigh of relief. Well, I guess a, a tiny, tiny bit I can. You know, we, we look at the, oh, I can go outside, I can do this, I can do that. That's kind of exciting. 
first time you ate at a restaurant in a year, you're like, ah, oh, I did it. Right? The first time you can go outside and not have to fear your neck getting cut off, that's a big day. Right? All religions are free. That's a big day. Hey, you can go to church today. <laughs> that was a big day. But sometimes, you guys know what Easter eggs are? Not like Easter egg hunts. How many? What, what's, what's an Easter egg? It, it's like a, a little hidden um, like surprise. Okay. Some future thing that's embedded in, in, in like a, either a story or a, or a, a movie or, or a game. Okay. Yeah, there'll be these little things, and, and you kind of the more if you play a video game, I'm not a big gamer, but but you might be a movie, and there'll be these little references you don't catch the first time. You go back, and you there's like, oh, there's this little reference to this here, and then like, oh, that's very that's neat. They're called Easter eggs. Sometimes God puts Easter eggs in the story, right? Like there's little little things sometimes, and that's where things are like Voltaire's house. That's like a little Easter egg. Right? It's, a, it's a little thing where God says, oh yeah, I just did that. Like, oh, that was kind of cool. And people miss it. For centuries, people might miss it. That was a neat thing that God did. And sometimes God just shows you, I can do what I want. Watch this. I'm going to turn Voltaire's house into a Bible house. Just because I want to. Sometimes we kind of need to look for those little subtle things. Sometimes it's big and dramatic. But God is always reigning. And so, I do kind of, I always try to leave the, the, the lesson, not just with philosophy or history or archaeology or whatever the lesson is that we're doing, but to leave it with something practical is to, to observe, to look for those things that God has done. It, it might be in your life. It might be a small thing that God's done. God has done something. God has shown me he's reigning. It might be a small thing this week. It might be a big thing this week. There are forces that hate Christianity still. Okay? But leave with this encouragement. It is never going to get that bad again. It is never going to get that bad. It sometimes feels like it is. We can't imagine what that was like. I, I can't imagine. I can read all the history books. And I, I can't ever uh, imagine what that was like. It doesn't appear that that level of suffering, that was special. It drew God's notice and his attention. Um, so be encouraged with those things. And we're going to close.